Good morning, good afternoon, how you doing out there today? This is David Robert for the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. I want to welcome you to another episode. It is February the 20th, 2024, and we're coming to you live from the studio, the, I don't know what I want to name this studio, the uh, Fortress of Solitude, the solitary sanctorium or the I don't know something classy and sassy but thanks for listening thank you for joining me here on Black History Month where we try to make people feel guilty about what happened in the past no I'm just kidding we know we're not doing that but um just want to let you know before we get started you can find us the Marketplace of Ideas podcast the royal us as it were on Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, you name it, we are there. Anywhere you get your podcasts, we're there living it up, having a good old time. You can also find the Adult Fitness Podcast as well as the Strange Tales Podcast, Gods and Monsters. We got some good stuff coming, so look for us there. So today we're going to be chatting about... um, Something that affected my childhood, as most of the episodes on this podcast have. Uh, We're going to be chatting about uh, toys. In particular, toys geared towards black children. Or children of color. You know, depending on uh, what your ethnicity or racial makeup is. Back in the 80s and the 90s, there just wasn't a lot for kids that were not of Caucasian European descent. As I sit here, I look upon some of my posters in my studio, and we have, you know, Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. I've got a DC rogues gallery of heroes and villains, and all but one of them is a person of color being Cyborg. I look at my Marvel posters. I've got T'Challa, the Black Panther. I've got Luke Cage, Power Man. That's about it for Marvel. (laughs) Um, Falcon, you know, uh, Captain America's buddy, Sam Wilson. So uh, we're going to go over some of the great innovations that we've seen in toy manufacturing over the last 20 to 30 years, in particular when it comes to toys of color. But just want to kick it off with a little backstory. Um, so growing up in the 80s, as I've said before, we had a glutton of, just a glut of heroes and villains and storylines and movies and characters of various IPs that were amazing. We had everything from DC superheroes to Marvel superheroes to Hercules to um, Star Trek to Star Wars. We had um, Alien, right? We had Predator. We had Ghostbusters. We had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We had Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, um, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. There was Cops. There was uh, Chuck Norris's Karate Commandos. There was Brave Star. There was Smurfs. There was Pound Puppies. We had Charlie Brown. There was uh, the Get Along Gang, if anybody remembers those guys. There were Cabbage Patch Kids. We had uh, the Ewoks, right? We had uh, we had Spider-Man and his, his uh, fantastic friends. We had the... Oh, man, what else? We had Batman. We had... Um, just you name it we had it then we had wrestling then on top of that we had et and the goonies right and the monster squad and 
just this insane amount of pop culture that we still see in theaters and films and you know and and streaming services today so it was not without we were we we didn't lack for any form of entertainment we had literally everything we wanted and then some and then that's not even counting video games we're not even talking about comic books we're not even talking about literature we're, we're just it was a, it was an amazing time to be a kid and one of the things that was I don't want to say not so amazing, but one of the things that was definitely a glaring indicator of the 80s and the 90s was the lack of diversity in the toy aisles. Now, don't get me wrong, Cabbage Patch Kids had a black version, Barbie had her own black characters, Gem, Transformers, uh, Transformers didn't, sorry, I'm talking about uh, G.I. Joe, all of those um, properties had one or two black characters sprinkled in there. But the majority of what we saw were white faces, you know, looking back at us. And that, that wasn't a problem at all. It wasn't an issue because with fantasy and horror and sci-fi and, you know, and adult fiction and kids, uh, YA, young adult stuff, we could imagine ourselves being almost anything. So we could be aliens, you could be Superman, you could be Batman, it didn't matter. But as you start to get a little bit older, you start to recognize that the things that you were looking at the characters that you wanted to identify with, the people or the heroes or the villains or the damsels or the, the guys who were doing the heavy lifting or all this stuff, they didn't really look like you. And that's not a problem per se, but it, what, it, what it did is it did a couple of things. It didn't allow you to feel as though you belonged in the broader sense of the economy or in culture or in pop culture. Now, again, we did have examples like um, um, Apollo Creed, um, who's Eric Winters, who um, recently passed away. He was, you know, just a, a real staple in the pop culture uh, community from movies such as um, oh, he was in Predator, actually, and Rocky, and later on he was in The Mandalorian in the last couple of years there, and unfortunately he passed away at the age of 70, I believe 76, if I'm not mistaken. And we've had other characters such as uh, Michael B. Jordan play Creed, Apollo Creed's son in Creed 1, 2, and 3, as well as other characters in the pop culture landscape, but predominantly with characters like He-Man and Spider-Man and everything else, we were looking at people that just did not look like us. And on a subconscious level or an internal level, it did create a sense of longing to want to be a part of that world. Now, I'm not talking about like, uh, like um, um, Ariel from The Little Mermaid, but we weren't able to interject ourselves into these, into these places. And, you know, it would, it would bug you a little bit. There would always be that little thing of like, oh, okay, yeah, who am I going to dress up for as Halloween? Well, who do I got? Um, looks like I'm cyborg again this year. And my mother, God rest her soul, would dress me up in Halloween costumes. And one year she put me in whiteface as Dracula. Uh, thank God there's no pictures of that circulating anywhere. But it was crazy, you know? And so... As a kid, you're not really noticing the fact that predominantly all of the characters that you follow and you, you, you 
you look at are a different color. You just love all of this stuff. From My Pet Monster to the Pirates of Dark Water to to New Kids on the Block to, you know, all of that stuff in the 80s to Punky Brewster to, you know, Family Ties to Back to the Future. You, you saw a little bit of us here and there, people of color, um, but not so much. And so one of the things that, like I said earlier, it would do was make you feel like you didn't really belong in the culture. You were kind of an outlier. That if there was a Barbie, there was a version of it that was sort of like your... Kind of like the add-on, as it were. You weren't the main thing. You were the fries or the crinkle-cut carrots. You weren't really like the hamburger and the milkshake and everything else. You were kind of like off to the side. You were never... You never saw a lot of um, black characters in leading man roles, i.e. you did have a Sidney Poitier or a Denzel Washington, um, Kunta Kente, when it came to um, Roots with um, LeVar Burton, but they were few and far between, and the majority of the entertainment that you saw wasn't really reflected in what, in, in what you looked like. So... You would use your imagination, you would sort of ignore it, but it would always rear its ugly head when you were playing um, in the schoolyard, and you would have to be a character, and, you know, evidently someone would say, oh, you can't be that character because he's white, and so you'd have to, okay, well, who could I be, you know, when you're playing, like, uh, cops and robbers or, or, um, or anything else of that nature, and... I think as you get a bit older, you start to realize that your entertainment, the movies, the music you listen to, can definitely be a reflection, a broader you know, look at society. Now, let's not kid ourselves. When it came to sports and entertainment, there was a lot of black uh, people that were looking back at us, from Michael Jackson before he you know, changed color, <laughs> um, to Eddie Murphy, to... Um, James Earl Jones to, um, you know, like I said, Sidney Portier to Eartha Kitt to Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Mike Tyson, uh, Bo Jackson to Jerry Rice. There was no shortage of uh, people to look back at you and to see your own reflection when it came to sports and basketball and baseball. But when it came to entertainment, because a lot of the writers and producers and directors and people backing the films weren't people of color, you got stories that came from a second-hand experience. And so what I mean by that is recently there has been a show on, I forget what cable, what streaming service it's on, but it's called Reservoir Dogs. And this is a tale of um, what goes on in residential areas. And it was written by Takawatiti, and I believe um, the they have indigenous actors from America. And one of the crazy things about it was one of the actresses was talking, I believe it was on Jay Leno, not Jay Leno, on Jimmy Fallon, and she was stating that in her years of acting and you know getting out there, she has yet to see a writer's room or. A, produ a producer or a director that looks like her. And one of the crazy things is when these stories are being told of, of uh, residential schools or as they were called, um, oh, I forget what they were called in the United States, but here in Canada, there were residential schools where people were taken 
from their homes in the 60s scoop and forced to integrate and assimilate into um, white European Catholic ideals. And it just didn't work. It just didn't... um, I mean, we're still dealing with currently and will be for a very long time the effects of the abuse that took place on those communities. But when these stories were being told, they were being told through a different sort of lens, a lens that would not be able to, at least when it comes to the experiences, to tell it accurately with the type of energy, I guess you could say, that you would need to have. A great example of this is I was listening to uh, an individual talk about these sort of films, and in, in one of them, on the CBC, they were describing that when people were taken from their homes, they didn't speak English. They spoke the native tongue of whichever tribe or um, area they were from, be it uh, Métis or Iroquois or what have you. And so when they arrived to these schools and they were being yelled at by the nuns and the priests and they were being hit, it was being said in a language they couldn't understand. Now, my my um, conditioned brain over here kept thinking, well, obviously they understood what was being yelled at them. How would they understand it? It was a different language altogether. So not only are you ripped from your home, ripped from your culture, ripped from your people, not allowed to interact with um, people from your from where you're from, being forced to be taught a different language, to eat food that you're not native to, and if you run away, there's a good real threat that you could end up being abused and forced to come back. But when you landed in these schools, you wouldn't have understood the language. And I didn't even think about that. The mere thought that you would somehow understand what they were saying while they were screaming at you was ridiculous. Now, when we look at the show Roots in particular, when it premiered, I believe in the 70s on American television sets and, you know, TV sets all throughout the world, when um, Toby, well not Toby, but Kutakinte was being told your last name is Toby, you had to think for a second, how would he know how to speak English? Now again, I haven't seen the, the film in so long, but the mere thought of that was, hey, you're taking a people group, right, from a continent in which they don't speak the language, and you are putting them on these boats and bringing them to these shores to a place where, you know, they, they speak English. How would they actually understand what they were saying? How would they actually be able to comprehend what was being told to them as they were being abused, as they were being whipped and beaten? And the mere idea of that didn't even dawn on me. And so it kind of showcases how when people who don't have those lived experiences and don't pick up on those nuances, how it can cause a lot of... misrepresentation and these stories being told that are inauthentic so when we look at the history books and you know obviously like like um winston churchill said history is you know written by the winners and so a lot of the things that took place will be left out and some very important things and so how does that connect to toys how does that connect to children at play 
Well, if you have toys that don't have the proper texture of hair for dolls, the shape of noses and lips and eyes and skin tones and textures, it can create this idea that what you are or what, you know, what attributes you have are not valuable. That the idea that you have hair that's unmanageable and frizzy and needs to be tamed and needs to be pressed and straightened, that's a problem. Like, your hair is something that needs to be solved. That your, um, your features are something that needs to be corrected. It's kind of like seeing band-aids in the skin tone of, you know, of a Caucasian individual and it's 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 written as, you know, skin tone or flesh or whatever. And it's like that's not my skin tone. So there's a whole bunch of a whole host of issues that arrive from not being able to play with to have adventures with toys and dolls and action figures that mimic and look and represent you regardless of what race or creed that you you are um, you align with be it Asian or be it Arabic or be it East Indian or be it um, Aboriginal First Nations be it um, wherever and wherever you're from and uh, I got an article here that I wanted to read in particular when talking about this because it kind of shed some light into this uh, sort of topic here, so let me see if I can bring it up. <laughs> just one second. Ah, here we go. Okay, so this is just a um, something that I saw here. Uh, so this is by the uh, Marketplace of Ideas uh, blog. I got a blog, so I kind of jotted this down here. Uh, this is just a rough sort of uh, draft of it here, but I'll give you the gist of it. So basically, it's called Black Toys. Uh, represent- representation in toys, movies, and children's entertainment plays a crucial role in shaping a child's worldview and self-perception. Uh, Historically, black children faced a lack of diverse representation, which con- contributed to a sense of invisibility and a skewed understanding of their place in society. The advent of black dolls and characters in children's media marks a significant shift towards inclusivity and equity. In the past, the absence of diverse representation meant that black children often struggled to find relatable characters in the toys they played with or the shows they watched. This lack of representation can lead to feelings of exclusion and reinforce harmful stereotypes. Introducing black dolls and characters in children's entertainment helps address this gap, allowing young individuals to see themselves reflected positively in the media they consume. For young girls, having and playing with black dolls can foster a sense of identity and self-worth. Representation in toys allows them to connect with characters who share similar physical features, hair textures, and cultural backgrounds. This representation validates their experiences and helps build a positive self-image, promoting a healthy sense of identity and pride. It sends a powerful message that beauty and worthiness comes in diverse forms. Furthermore, diverse toys contribute to fostering empathy and understanding among children of different ethnic backgrounds. When kids engage with dolls representing various races and ethnicities, they learn to appreciate and celebrate differences. 
This early exposure helps combat stereotypes, prejudice, discrimination, and promote a more inclusivity. Sorry, and promote a more inclusive society in the long run. Now, uh, it goes on a little bit. I haven't uh, finished the whole article, but that's just the tip of the iceberg there. But what is so powerful when looking at kids playing with toys that look like them, and it could be any any um, background, is that you're going to get this feeling of, I belong here too. And no uh, better representation of that is with the character Sunman. Now, I did a podcast episode about this about a year or two ago, in which I was talking about a lady by the name of, if I can get it right, um, her name is, let me see, uh, Yela Essen, or Eason, sorry. And so she was a mother in the 1980s. She had a son, a black son, with her husband. And they were walking through the, the aisles of Kmart or Toys R Us or uh, BK Toys in the States. And the little boy, this was in 1985, went to his mom. And I believe they were in the car afterwards. They were looking for toys. And he was just kind of looking a little bit downtrodden. And she asked, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? And he said that he didn't feel like he could ever be a superhero. And she said, what do you mean? Of course you could be a superhero. What are you talking about? And he said, well, no, because there's no dolls that look like me. There's no action figures. And he was going through the He-Man aisle. And and at the time, I don't believe they had any black characters. I think they have Clamp Champ now. And, uh, oh, there's another character. Uh, But that's it. Really, there was none. You know, um, I mean, you had monsters and Skeletor and, you know, Man-at-Arms and Ram-Man and Merman, but you had no black characters. I think, well, you had one, basically. But I don't think Clamp Champ came until later. And so, yeah, um, she wanted to bring a positive image for her and create one for her son. So in 1985, she created Sunman, a black American superhero character for her son and other children like him. Eason saw that, um, saw the need for more relevant black toys for the undeserved, sorry, not undeserved, underserved black children at play market. So as history would have it in the eighties, it was a lot harder to create a toy line, but she'd worked in finance as well as in statistics. And so she and her husband got to work and it took, you know, considerable amount of capital, not millions of dollars, but she was able to get the buck, which is the shape and the mold of the toy, and then um, reach out to manufacturers in China where they would send um, images back and forth, and during that, she was able to create that, and it was connected to the He-Man universe in a weird way. Like, it wasn't weird, but the way she um, created it and named it, Sun Man was part of like part of the the He-Man universe in a way a very much a tip of the cap to it but in seeing that in 2022 Masters of the Universe when they were relaunching a lot of their toys reached out to her and said look we want to bring He-Man and Sun-Man into the same universe it's she's still going to have creative control but they want to officially say that it's canon to their universe and that was huge because here you have an independent toy that created you know um dolls as well as action figures for african-americans during the 80s and you got to understand too in the 80s 
it was a time of real unrest within American society. You had uh, the Contra issue where Reagan traded arms for hostages. You had um, hyperinflation. You had the beginnings of the AIDS crisis where people were just starting to hear about AIDS and talk about it. You had issues with, um, with the war on drugs, you know, which was actually the war against black and brown people, and the war on poverty, which was the war on poor people. Inflation was crazy, and oil prices were astronomical, and it was a real time of destruction within the black community. You had people getting arrested for five-year minimums when it came to crack cocaine. Raekwon the chef from Wu-Tang Clan described it as the blizzard where you had hoods and, you know, bodegas and areas where they were just decimated by crack cocaine and the violence that came with it. So to see yourself in a, in a respectable, very, what's what I'm looking for, in a very positive light was something new and different for kids in that time period. You had Bill Cosby, he was on television with his wife, um, and they were a nuclear family, and he was a doctor, and she was a lawyer. You had, um, oh, who else did you have? You had different strokes. You had, um, oh, Family Matters. What else was there? Uh, in the 90s, you had In the House, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, uh, Moesha. So there was, there was a lot of shows that were coming online in the 80s and the 90s, but when it came to toys, you didn't have a lot. And so she came out with this... And it, it, it did really, really well. And they made a lot of money until they shut down the toy. Um, they shut it down back in, like, I think the late, mid to late 90s, but then revived it again in the, into the 2010s there. And so the crazy thing is having representation in children's entertainment is a real sign of societal progress. And if you're able to embrace that sort of mindset, what it can do is basically say, okay, it's not a threat. And I think one of the things that happened along the way is that with capitalism, we have this idea that if I take a certain amount of the pie, it's going to be less for you. And the reality is the fact that they're printing money to infinity right now is that just because another person is doing well does not mean that you're, you're going to struggle. It's not a... It's not a, if I win, you lose kind of thing. And the same thing with toys and with entertainment. If there are black characters, Asian characters, East Indian, Arabic, Native American characters, if there are gay characters, trans characters, characters that have a disability, a learning disability, um, like Daredevil, who's blind, or um, what else? Uh, there's, there's, you know, Sherlock Holmes, the new interpretation of Sherlock Holmes, Robert Downey Jr., um, is is highly um, um, OCD as well probably a bit autistic as well but we're seeing characters humanized and made the hero made the love interest made the leading man or woman in the in films and television and it's creating this area where you can break apart a lot of stereotypes if you have kids playing with toys yeah, they, they, you know, a kid picks up a cyborg or a Luke Cage or a Black Panther and they're a white kid playing with it. 
Do you think that kid's going to look at his friend and think, oh, this friend is, is worth less because they have darker skin? Or, you know, a kid's playing with an Asian toy, or a, a girl, you know, or She-Ra, or Wonder Woman. You know, they're, they're, they're going to have a better understanding of each other because it's coming from a, an honest place, in, in my opinion, anyways. And now the funny thing is, I did this with my brother a while back, uh, a few years ago. And we were trying to figure out how many Marvel characters or comic book characters there are that are actually black. Like if we could actually picture them. And we made a bit of a list here of some of the ones that I, I, could, um, I could come up with. So we had Black Panther, obviously T'Challa. We had Storm from the X-Men. We had Luke Cage from um, Heroes for Hire with Iron Fist. We had Falcon, Sam Wilson... We had Blade, uh, Eric Brooks. We had War Machine, James Rhodes. We had Vixen. I don't know that one. Uh, Mary McCobb. We had Cyborg, Victor Stone. We had Misty Knight, John Stewart, Green Lantern. Uh, Cloak, Tyrone Johnson. Dagger, Tandy Bowen. Spawn, Al Simmons from uh, Image, creator, uh, created by Todd McFarlane. We had Monica Rambeau, Miles Morales, also of Spider. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse fame Static, Virgil Hawkins Black Lightning, Jeffrey Pierce Blue Marvel, Adam Bashir, Rocket, uh, Raquel Evans And Steel, John Henry Irons So, in total Just off of the You know, just off of the uh, Off the old dome here And in the Off of the notes We've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 so we're able to have 20. And then with G.I. Joe, you've got a few there. you got Roblox, Stalker, Alpine, um, Doc, Jazz for the Transformers. Uh, what else? Um, so yeah, um, not a lot there. Uh, there was the Milestone Universe for comic books, which was a comic book imprint that was founded in 1993 by a coalition of African-American writers and artists, including Dwayne McDuffie, who I believe passed away. Um, Dens, uh, Denny's Cohen, Michael Davis, and Derek T. Dingle. The imprint was established to address the lack of diversity in the comic book industry and to provide a platform for underrepresented voices. Uh, Milestone Media was later integrated into DC Comics. So, we it, there's there's a long way to go with representation within media and within film and with entertainment. I, I don't think anybody could deny that. And I don't think one of the ways that you deal with that is having diversity and inclusion initiatives. So people are forced to just put people into a film. I think that's disgusting, I think it's gross, and I think that nobody wants that. Because when you, when you force people to hire uh, a person of color, first of all, it creates resentment, right? Second is, you know, whether the person's qualified or not, dad, just bring them on board. It creates this idea that a person of color does not have the mental equivalency to handle um, the job. And so we'll just bring them on just to, you know, check a, uh, a signature off the box there. But one of the things that it does is it creates this feeling of the hand-me-down effect where 
You hear people talk all the time about how we need a black James Bond or we need a black Superman. And there is actually one in the comic books, but it's part of a multi, a different dimension, different universe. But we talk about, oh, we need to have, you know, a black version of Wolverine or a black version. Of... And the reality is I don't want to see a black version of Batman or Robin or Superman or Shazam or whoever else. I want to see new, fresh characters. Why, why give me a black version of James Bond when there's so much depth to mine out when it comes to these characters to create our own? A character like Luke Cage or Black Panther. Yes, they were created by um, white comic book artists, but... They were, they were um, represented in the comic books to showcase what was going on in a lot of these neighborhoods. We had Falcon, who, before he really teamed up with Captain America in the comic books, was somebody who worked within uh, the hoods and the projects and the bodegas and all of these areas, dealing with crime and what was going on there. Dealing with social issues. Luke Cage was the same. He was dealing with the corruption of the prison industrial complex. And when he, he got out to clear his name, you know, he was working in those same communities. He was working in Hell's Kitchen. He was working in the Bronx and Harlem. And so when people see these characters in areas that they live in, it gives them a sense of pride. And to create characters... And not just give us the, I don't know, just the leftovers. It's kind of weird. It's nice. It's really refreshing to see characters that are new and different and add a new dimension to, um, to the comic book landscape or the toy landscape or movies or film or, or literature. So you're not kind of feeling like you're just uh, an add-on. You know, a leftover. And just like Elman, um, uh, the creator of Sunman, she took it upon herself to create something for her son. And in today's day, it's, it's even easier. There are websites right now that if you wanted to produce a toy or a doll, you could find it with a click of a mouse and have literally something at your front, front door through Amazon or, you know, almost same-day delivery. So it's a lot easier to put out more characters if you are a writer or if you are a uh, director or a producer or if you want to put out your own comic books and you have the artistic talent. There are more ways than ever to put out your characters and create something that looks exactly like you with your lived experience. And I think that's what we really need to see. We don't need to see um, studios and industries put out characters that are just carbon copies of already traditional legacy characters. And uh, there was a lot of criticism about Miles Morales into the spider versus Spider-Man. That he was a half-black, half-Latinx uh, character. And a lot of people said, oh, well, this is just copying Spider-Man. Well, the reality was it was in a different, you know, multiverse altogether. And so it wasn't a copy of Peter Parker, but it was just another version of Spider-Man. 
And I think that's sort of a really fresh take on it and something that we could really um, kind of grow with. I think it was, it's a great example of what could happen when people are willing to kind of think outside of the box a little bit. Because if we're not willing to do that, what we're going to get is characters that are uninspiring, that lack any emotional depth and any real connection to their communities. Because think about it, if you have a version of James Bond that's black, well, it's, he's got to be in the Secret Service and he's had to maybe served in the military. And we just wouldn't buy the fact that, hey, this is a James Bond that they plucked out of Harlem. Or that they plucked out of uh, a, part in, a place in Britain. But rather, it would be like, hey, you know what? Real talk, this is somebody that's from around the way. This is somebody that is from an area that this young kid can relate to and be like, hey, this, is, this guy looks like somebody from where I live. Or this girl. And that's how you get that connection. That's how you get that feeling of, oh, okay, this is, this is something that's for me. You know, my friends have a character that they could, they could play with. They have a Spider-Man. They have a, a He-Man. I've got a Miles Morales and a Luke Cage. And there's that, a real sense of like, you know, okay, we got something that's, that's ours. And, and I think that's a call to a lot of people who are creatives to actually get out there and put out their, their, um, their, their projects it's easier than ever there's more access than ever like before i kind of end this i want to say that when i was in high school my brother and i tried to make a clothing line in the same sort of spirit as sean john and rough rider uh uh, oh man uh rough rider wear and uh rockefeller wear just all of the all of these name brand um Rap labels were putting out their own clothing line as well. Everybody and their mother had a record label and a clothing line. It was just the thing you did in the ni- late 90s. From Master P to Woo Wear to you name it, right? Uh, no Limit Clothing. And so we tried to put out our own clothing. And we had three main ways to get the word out. It was print, it was television, it was, and it was radio. And, and I guess the fourth would be signage. Well, back in the 90s, to actually get an ad on radio, you were looking at thousands of dollars. You had to be an established country, uh, um, company, maybe a country, who knows, <laughs> but you had to have some money coming in. We didn't have that. We just printed up a couple t-shirts, you know, screen printed, and off we were. We didn't have a website. I mean, nobody had a website back then. We didn't have a, we didn't have a phone number, just word of mouth. And we sold a few, actually, if I'm not, if I'm not lying. We sold a few t-shirts. And I remember thinking, okay, well, maybe we could do TV. Well, TV was out of the question. Television was even more expensive than radio. And maybe we could take on an ad in the newspaper, but that would be like a couple hundred bucks for a week. So we relied on word of mouth. Fast forward to 2024, you have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, formerly known as Twitter's X, I guess now, um, YouTube, Twitch, um, Pinterest, what else? Um, Tread threads, I guess, if that's still a thing. Um, what else? Podcasts, you know, uh, online radio actually is a thing, which you can start for a thousand dollars for a license for a year, which is is crazy to me. Um, 
I've just listed close to 10 ways you can get your, um, oh, and then also you have your own website. So almost 10 ways that you can get your ideas and your product and your services and what you do into the eyes and ears of potentially millions of people. It's crazy. From your basement, or if you have high-speed internet, wherever you got it. So, this idea of, of black toys in particular and representation, I think is one of the, that's important because, again, it mirrors that idea that you can have your heroes and they don't have to be carbon copies of other people's. And just the idea to have something that says, hey, this is me, this is who I am, this, is represent- this represents me, and have pride in this toy or in this, you know, this, uh, this character. It's kind of cool. But yeah, um, you know, that's, that's just something I just wanted to chat about there. It was something that I had been thinking about. And hey, you know what? Black History Month, why not, why not, why not talk about it, you know? And uh, get the conversation get the conversation going but uh like i said before you can find us the marketplace of ideas podcast wherever you get your podcast google play podbean you name it we are there having a good time rocking and rolling uh look like i said again look for any of our other podcasts we got coming we got some great episodes so stay tuned for that but until next time take care be good to one another out there keep your head on the swivel peace